Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three-killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 248. Today, we're rolling into another DIY report with my good buddy, Greg Litzinger. So stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you are doing well hope you are feeling fine i am feeling pretty good because archery season has finally come in for me i finally got to spend an afternoon in the tree this past weekend it was it was a steamy one the uh, mosquitoes were in full effect might have might have caught me a case of malaria while i was out there was doing battle with those uh with those dinosaurs with a, with a thermocell and surprisingly, the, the things work. They, they work pretty well. I mean, I've used them, you know, for uh, I guess a couple of years. I wasn't much of a believer in them for or the longest time. And I guess I don't know. It's probably three years ago. I finally started using one, and you know, just because I was hunting some swamp areas and it was just gnarly. And I was like, I'll take anything that might that might help. And lo and behold, it helped. I was skeptical, you know, for most of my adult life as to whether or not those things actually were effective or not. And they are, and so I wasted a lot of time sitting in buggy weather that I could have had a uh, had a more favorable more favorable hunt. But uh, but yeah, yesterday's hunt was was uneventful to say the least. Um, didn't didn't see anything actually, not a not a stinking thing. But it was uh it, it was a pretty warm one, so I, I can't say that I, I was expecting to see a, a ton of deer necessarily. It just felt good to finally 
be out into a tree and, you know, do some climbing, hang out in a saddle. And if nothing else, a nice dry run of getting all my gear into a tree. It's like that first one is always kind of a, a shit show to be quite honest with you. It's like almost every year I end up forgetting something. And so this year I actually knock on wood, I remembered everything. Like there wasn't anything that I forgot at the house. You know, I've actually taken stuff along that I needed and then left it in the truck whenever I went into the woods. Like, so, you know, at least yesterday from that standpoint, we were all systems go. And then today, you know, no, no, uh, hunting on Sundays in Pennsylvania, unfortunately, hopefully someday that'll, that'll change. We have a couple Sundays we're allowed to hunt, but for the most part we can't. Um, so today, had a favorable wind to kind of slip in to check a trail camera or two um, that were pretty low, low intrusion that I needed to kind of go in and, and, and take a look at. And so I think I have a game plan for this week um, and did have, uh, you know, a, a, a local shooter pop up uh, out of nowhere in a in a, actually a new spot place I've never even been before. I just kind of on a whim hung a camera in this one particular area. And it seems to be where I have my best luck. I mean, I did it. Uh, in the new piece that I scouted this year and, you know, did it again, you know, this year, just locally where it's like, I kind of find happen onto a spot and I'm like, you know, I'm like a shit, I'll just throw a camera here. I don't know. Maybe, maybe something will show up. You know, this, this is an area that actually has a pretty decent crossing. And, um, you know, I know it's a, uh, I won't say, a, well, I guess I will say it's a bedding area to a degree. I mean, I kicked deer out whenever I was in there and I guess it was late spring. So I didn't find any like primary scrapes or anything like that because at the by the time I got into this area everything was kind of grown up but what I was able to see because of the vegetation was just the like trails and stuff like that so you know I kind of followed those and meandered around and got to a particular area where things kind of get funneled and pinched down into this one particular kind of you know crossing it's you know kind of like a ditch or whatever it is it's just like this depression essentially and and the deer kind of get pushed to it and I could see where they were crossing and so I was like well you know might as well just throw a camera here. I had one in my bag and wasn't planning on taking it back home. So I was like, I'll chuck a camera here and see what happens. So did that and then went back to check it today and, um, tons of doe activity on it. So I think it's actually going to be a place that could be pretty dynamite for, for the rut. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but there really wasn't anything. There were some younger bucks on it. You know, one that looked like he was an up and comer, you know, there was a two year old that looked like, man, he makes it through the year. He could be a decent buck next year. And then today when I checked it, there was finally one of just not, you know, that kind of stood out, shall we say. And when I saw him, I was like, okay, all right, there's a player. So at this point now, you know, I really was just kind of focusing on hunting, you know, does at this point, try to put some meat in the freezer because I really don't have a target in my in my local area at this point yet. Um so this guy might be might be the first one to try to maybe take a take a swing at it at some point. We'll wait and see. You know, I got a decent win for that particular area coming up this week. Um, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I don't have know a whole lot about this uh, about this deer. Obviously, I have a video of him kind of making his way through hitting a uh, hitting a licking branch on his on his way through. So that was kind of good intel to know. And then there's just a ton of deer traffic in there. So I'm going to hunt that general area probably this week after work one day and see if I can't kind of whack a doe and just kind of get some more intel about the uh, about the area and see uh, and see what shakes. But all in all, man, it feels good to be in a tree. The other thing I was kind of using this week for the first time, which was kind of cool. I know you guys heard me mention it before on the podcast. I've had Bill on in the past. Uh, but the Spartan Forge app, I actually got a copy of it, a test version of it. Um, I was able to get it on my phone to kind of use it. And this thing is pretty cool, man. It's, uh, 
you know, if you've used mapping systems before, you'll quickly kind of uh, acquaint yourself with this once you get an opportunity to use it. But, you know, I'm definitely digging the fact that it has like the predictive forecast. I can actually look at historical, you know, weather data and stuff like that, especially whenever I'm checking trail cameras and stuff like that. And I'll kind of, I see a date, a deer did something on a day. I just go to my app and I kind of look at what the weather typically is like historically for that area where that I had the camera and I can kind of pull that stuff up. So it's super cool. The imagery is awesome from the, from the map perspective, like better imagery than you'll find on the other, you know, map apps that are out there. And the killer part is, you know, or the interesting part is, is they're still in beta testing. So this isn't even like the final, final version there. They have all kinds of updates that are coming. So, you know, they're going to be in, they're going to be launching the initial beta version of this app. That's just around the, around the corner. They've had some delays with like the app stores and stuff like that. Cause there's a whole process you have to go through for that. Um, but they're only taking a very limited number of testers from the, from the public outside of, you know, folks like me or, you know, Greg Litzinger and a couple guys that they have that are, that are kind of testing the, uh, um, testing the app. And, and once they fill all these kind of test spots, they're going to kind of, you know, close it to any, you know, uh, new accounts that won't be accepted at that point until the test period is over. The good news is those, they have those limited number of seats that are available uh, for the beta version and you can slot your, you know, get your place in line, I guess, for, you know, $29.99 right now. The good news is if you sign up as a beta tester for $29.99 a year, you won't have an increase in the cost for the life of your account. You, you can also get signed up at the website. So if you go to spartanforge.ai, you can go there, sign up for an account, and then you'll be able to get the, uh, the, the, the test version of the app. And I don't know how many seats they have left, so I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't dilly dally, as we say, um, if you're interested in getting this and kind of being one of the first ones in, um, then I would make sure to head over to SpartanForge.ai and and go ahead and get yourself signed up. The cool thing is, too, is that even if you miss out on this, like, you know, I, it, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, I, I, the cost may go up a little bit, but it's still going to be, you know, basically the entire country. All the stuff that you're paying a premium for on a lot of the other competitor apps uh, is going to be kind of standard standard with this one at a, a much more um, consumer-friendly price point, shall we say. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get jumped into today's podcast. Um, got a cool show for you guys today. Got my buddy Greg Litzinger on. This is another part of the Q&A session, the marathon Q&A session that he and I did together. Uh, I think this is part number three. We're talking about all kinds of stuff here, mock scrapes, camera strategies, um, getting into the hunting industry, uh, you know, you name it, we kind of cover in, in this session. These are always kind of fun, fun sessions to do with Greg. Before I let you go, make sure to head over to skullbrewcoffee.com. Pick yourself up some coffee, hunting trips. If you haven't taken one yet, you probably have one coming up. Don't have shitty coffee during a hunting trip and get the rot gut. Drink Skullbrew coffee, pour over packs, killer coffee for your hunt. Check it out. With that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. As always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You are listening to part whatever this is because we, we've been going for so long on this Q&A session that I don't even know how many parts this thing is going to end up being to make it digestible for everybody. But we got a ton of questions from you guys. Literally, Greg and I had to take a piss break and get something to drink because I think the last session went like two hours. Yep. So we're back at it. I promised that I, we would answer every question that we got. And, and we there's are, blue dragonflies outside. And there's blue dragonflies outside, according to uh, in, according to Greg's daughter. And Peppa Cup <laughs> yeah. is dirty. Yes. So just <laughs> just in case you guys were wondering the status of Peppa Cup, yeah. Peppa Pig Cup, that's what's going on. That's what we got going on over here. But we're just going to jump right into it, man. We're not going to beat around the bush. 
we're going to just jump straight into the questions and we are determined to get through all of them. And there is, there's quite a list we got yet. So this yeah. is going to, we'll be at this, we're going to chop some wood here. Yeah. All right. So this next question, this first one up in this session is uh, mock scrape tactics. So three words, mock scrape tactics. I think what they're really wanting to know here is do we uh, use them? If so, yes. how? Yes. So, and yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> next question. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, yeah. rapid fire. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, I, I use them, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I haven't, I'm not using them as much as I did last year. Last year, I used a lot of them. Um, I want to say almost every camera location I had had some form of scrape last year. Um, not so this year. One, I had a camera stolen over the one scrape. Right, which that kind of mm-hmm. sucked. And I, when I went back to hang the camera, I, hung, I made a mock scrape of the vine on that one. Um, so that kind of sucked. I have one mock scrape up now, which really isn't doing anything for me. Last year, it did great for me for whatever reason. This year, nothing. Same spot? Same spot. Didn't, I mean, it was all still set up. So I yeah. just used it, you know. What'd you put it on it? Um, I usually use a little bit of uh, Smokey's Preorbital. Yeah. That's like, that's my favorite. Yeah. That's the only one that I've ever found that has worked well. And it's something that, um, Don Higgins kind of swears by as well. Um, I actually started using it before I knew he used it. And then I was kind of, then he had mentioned it yeah. one day whenever I was talking to him and I was like, all right, well, if this dude, <laughs> you know, it, it uses it and, and, and swears by it, then I was like, then it's good enough for me. Um, but a lot of the places I was at up North, um, they're not really scrape setups. And again, yeah. I'm still learning that area. I have one camera set up over a scrape and it's being used, but it was a natural scrape. Yeah. So it wasn't like I needed to set up a mock scrape. There's another area I have that I have a cell camera on that is used year round. I don't need to set up a mock scrape there. Last year, I think I touched up with some preorbital. This year, I was like, man, there's deer hitting it all year round. Yeah. I don't need to put anything on it. There's scent all over it. Good to go. Um, and then another one was actually, there's a natural scrape. <laughs> I try to like use natural scrapes as much as I can find them when I will use a mock scrape. And that's why I'm surprised this one that I still have up didn't work because the one that got stolen, that one was working. Yeah. Like I was having deer hit that mock scrape, the, the licking vine that I had pretty consistently. Um, but the one that I still have up, it just, I'm not quite sure why it's not working. Like it's in the same spot. Deer or trout. I'm just, I'm also not getting as many deer walking through there this year as I did last year either. Yeah. So something's up Food. in that general. It could be, you know. Pressure or build a new house up there or something. <laughs> Nothing there. I'm going to guess it's probably food now. Um, Any logging or anything recently? No logging. There, The one food source that would be close by last year was corn. Um, this year is... Uh, it's wheat or rye or something like I want to say uh, probably oats actually yeah. it's probably more I think they're going to just bail it up for yeah. for straw or something so that changed from like a, well there from you go a, that could be it there yeah so that's, that's pretty significant you didn't go from like corn to beans you went from like corn to hearty grain yeah. which you know yeah which they're not I don't know how interested they are in that and I'm not an expert when it comes to that stuff yeah. but I don't it doesn't seem as though they would be as interested in it um and so that's what I was kind of thinking is that that probably kind of made made some changes there. But there's a, there's a bed that's there. I had one good deer that's come through there, you know, that, that I thought was pretty promising. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, yeah, I had some does early on when I made the, the, the mock scrape use it. 
Um, so I'm not saying that I don't like them. It's like I do use them. I've used them in some other states that I've set mock scrapes up and, and they have worked. This year, I, I just, maybe I knew the areas I was I was hunting a little bit better this year. And so I actually knew where the yeah. scrapes were at. And I was just utilizing the scrapes that were, the primary scrapes that were there. But I try to, like, so just to answer this person's question, when I do use them, I don't put them in a place trying to attract deer. No. I put them in a place that deer are already using that I'm just trying to sweeten the spot yeah. a little I, bit. I use mock scrapes pretty much right off a big primary scrape, almost like a, a, it's a big fuck you to right. the buck that made the big one. Mm, that's interesting. And Does I it get, work? yeah, <laughs> it's like a territorial thing. Like, oh, because you know, here, like uh, the one spot today, it's the holly trees. Mm-hmm. There's scrapes on holly trees. So in the fall, I'll probably make one. There's a nice divot, you know, probably a little bit bigger than this table. So it's, it gets hit all the, but there's no shot opportunities there from the tree. I can actually, you'll know, get out of, Mm-hmm. That spot's completely covered, but this tree right before it is perfect. So I'm one. It's the same type, same height, same like it's very similar. So I'm literally going to you know snap that branch off and then make that scrape because I can actually shoot you know a clear shot to that spot. Right. You know, and I, I have a lot of success. You know, I've I've run cameras, old flash cameras on scrapes for years. I used to use a dripper. But they always get stolen, you know, mm-hmm. the little wild, wildlife research drippers. Like, yeah. I had good luck with them. But every time you put one out, it just gets stolen. So it's, it's like super obvious. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it's like, so I always ran them, moss scrapes right next to a scrape or doctor up an existing scrape. You know, I right. put my own stuff into it. Right. And that usually, you know, I killed my biggest deer inches wise off of a scraping area I doctored up. I think it was what I used. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What, Tink's power scrape, I think it was mm-hmm. the synthetic stuff. And uh, I mean, I bought like the little spray thing. And three days before I killed that deer, I just sprayed there was literally probably a dozen scrapes in that area. I sprayed every one like way more than I should have. <laughs> right, right. But I'm like, I'm not taking this bottle back out with me, right? You know, and I right. had I saved a little bit. And the morning I killed mine, I, I sprayed that one um scrape you hit for like five minutes, mm-hmm. but it pretty much was like, right. Know, I, I use natural scrapes as much as possible, and I, I put my own twist on, so to right. speak. That's interesting, like the the antagonistic scrape next yeah. door. Like that's mm-hmm. an interesting approach. I, I've never, I've never because like I said, they're a natural scraping area. They're already coming through there naturally. Correct, and that's so, how I use. A yeah, so I'm like, like, all right, and if I if I can't get or the angle's awful, you know, like it, it's coming in. Like I know they're coming from this way, but it's a front, frontal shot. Well, I need to make that deer turn. You know, to get a better shot. So a lot of times I'll make one, you know, two foot away. And usually that's enough to make him go in there and usually just turn his head for or anything to give a, you know, a, a clear shot. on a deer. Right. Yeah. Like to your point, it's like, I'm not trying to draw deer to the scrape necessarily. If I, if there isn't a scrape already there, I'm looking for yeah. a trail that's obvious that yeah. they're using an area that they're obviously and, using. And, I'll and put my one in. pure mock scrapes that I've made, it's like a, probably only if you look, if I look back 
35% success on right. it. I'm going to make a scrape here. You know, it never really works out. It, it, when it does work out, I'm like, yeah, it's great. But most of them are just absolute failures. Right. I've had pretty good success as far as like deer hitting them. Yeah. Right. Um, last year, like I said, they were really active on the mock scripts. This year, it's not been so much except mm-hmm. that one, like I said previously, that, that, that got stolen. So I've had pretty good success as far as like getting deer now how long and often they're going yeah. to work it. So that one that this year is not hot right yeah. now, last year it was hot all the way up to like mid September. Mm-hmm. And then it was like someone shut off the water faucet yeah. and I just could not get a deer to hit that mock scrape for forever. You know, there's a couple mature deer that made their way through there in November, but it just, there yeah. wasn't any action on no it. No scent all. left on that stuff. So. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, deer does weren't even hitting it anymore. Like it just, for whatever reason died. Summertime scrape. Yeah, you know, and that's, that was going to be my next kind of follow up for because I'm curious. Like, do you are you only using them in the summer, or I'm sorry, during the fall, or do you set up any in the summer to kind of to I, help I, get inventory? I did one in Delaware, right by my job. I set uh, scrape up with rack hitters preorbital. Um, they weren't really hitting it, but two trails were kind of meeting. And see where there is a scrape there, and there's a couple of big tracks there, so. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like they were hitting it. They might be like rubbing their face on it, but they didn't really do much more than that. So I, you know, there was some pine needles like on there. So I cleaned them off and sprayed some bracketer. And today I did two. And the one uh, last, this past month, those three bucks came through single, which is weird. All different time frame, a single buck came through. Mm-hmm. One had potential, you know, July 4th, eight, you know, still whole, you know, month and a half growing right he he might be something and then two other deer came through one i don't think he's gonna fill out anymore but he looks like he's kind of massy mm-hmm. you know um coming through an area and there is a you know a, a scrape there they usually hit come you know i'm assuming come mid-october so i actually doctored that one up you know and actually moved the camera you know put up in there so even if it is a dud the camera and everything set up for you know you know, I go back. It's a lot easier. Swap out some batteries. You know, the, if the camera's a good angle down on the camera, like so. If it is a dud, you know, then it'll pay off. You know, right when it's go time. Yeah, and this is a perfect segue into this next guy's question because he's just asking how we use how we use trail cameras. And what I'll say first is that if you haven't listened to the most recent series I did with Chad Sylvester from Exodus Outdoor Gear, he and I did trail camera session on summer trail cameras and fall trail camera strategies and so i would go listen to that for like a full yeah the full a lot explanation be- a lot better than i would be yeah but but i mean as far as you know i, I think the general terms are you know summer i'm grabbing inventory yeah. and you know again chad and i talked about a lot of this but it, going back to what we were just talking about with mock scrapes like for me i'm oftentimes trying to find primary scrapes to hang cameras on even during the summer because deer are still going to be hitting that licking branches, you know, that, you know, that are, they may not be pawing at the ground. They may not be pissing in the scrape. They may not be doing those things, but if it's a primary scrape, they're going to likely be hitting that licking branch throughout the year. Now, different times it's hotter than other times, you know, so May, June, it's usually pretty good. July, not so much. August, they start hitting again. It's typically what I've seen, you know, um, but that's a lot of times how I'm using my trail cameras in the summer. Hunting public ground, I don't typically have like a yeah. big destination food source. Um, I can't run mineral, or, mineral yeah. or bait or anything like that where I'm at. You know, I typically don't do that, wouldn't do that anyway, even in areas that I could on like family private farms back in the day when I used to hunt those. 
But, I don't have much luck with minerals. Yeah. And PA and Johnny's we where him and I set them up, you get good but but around here it's like just waste my time. Yeah. I mean I've I've tried for years mm-hmm. every variety, every flavor, everything. <laughs> and it's like eh, it's a dud. Yeah. You know, but I go put a camera over a, a mock scrape, you know, mm-hmm. or like a scraping area right before where like a clear cut or, or something. Always get bucks. So for me, it's like, I'll just put, a, I'll put my camera there. Yeah. You know? I'm the same way, man. And I, usually, like I said, if the angle's good, everything's good, like that camera will sit there, you know, till it stops working, basically. I'll just keep putting new batteries in it, you know? Yeah. And I don't use expensive cameras because, you know, shit gets stolen around here. Right. <laughs> shit gets legs. Down, yeah. Cut down trees. Yeah. Shit gets around legs here. around here pretty fast. So it's like, I don't get the best pictures, but I don't need a high def picture where I was like, I'd shoot that deer, you know? I'm, That's like, all I'm looking for. Good enough for me. Yeah. You know, in, in the summer, it's like, yeah. to your point, it's, you know, I don't really have destination food sources around that I'm, that I'm utilizing for the inventory. So it's the stuff that I mentioned. And then it's, you know, edges, anywhere yeah. there's an edge, you know, like concentrated on, you know, heavily, heavily used trails and stuff like that. And then of course, when you hit fall, it's like, I'm now transitioning yeah. to areas, you know, where I think, you know, uh, certainly scrapes at that yeah. point. Right. And then beyond that, I'm looking for bedding areas. Yeah. I'm not necessarily so concerned of with is there, you know, where is the bed specifically? Yeah. I'm looking for an area of which bucks are going to be coming through mm. bedding areas, and I'm setting up cameras in those spots. And a lot of times, it's a lot of similar places, yeah. edge of clear cuts, you know, edge, edges of bedding where habitat kind of gets diverse, whether it's like hardwood meeting yeah. some type of swamp or something like that. Well, I put a camera up today. It was just weird, like I'm walking through the the spot, and you look at, you know, base map, Onyx, like the Spartan Forge, and even top map around here. It don't show it. It's a 15 foot drop off, like ravine. Hmm. Does not show up on any map. Like it's like, how does this not show up? And there was such a beaten down trail go down, and you know, I was like, I have one camera left in my bag, and it's like the worst possible spot because. North, south, east. It's running east to west. So I'm like, I'm trying to like look at the map. And I was like, okay, well, I followed it back like, you know, 100 yards. It's still just running east to west. I followed through a spot. It's just, uh, it looks like a cattle trail. I'm like, hmm. and we're just going up the, the draw there or whatever you want to call it. Like, I put the camera there and put a stick on it. I'm, I'm hoping for the best. Like, I came up and down it. Like, it's pretty good picture, but it was also 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's probably going to be a lot of whitewashed pictures in the morning because it's kind of easternly faced. But, right. For me, like I stumbled upon a you know pretty much a cattle trail, and it's like, and there's just so much food in that area. So it's like, well, there's coming from somewhere, and I don't know where it was going. Like you look, I look at the map, I'm like this doesn't make any sense because like there's nothing over, really over here that would. They're just concentrated, and it's just like big, you know, big droppings, little droppings, big tracks, little tracks. I'm like, well, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm put a camera here and hope yeah, the best. And sometimes you just have to set it up and then not most ideal way you know yep. it's like you're trying to avoid that sunset sunrise yeah sunrise direction gonna, and it's a cheap camera too so it's any type of heat sense is gonna <laughs> make a trigger yeah right I'm gonna, right i'm gonna have 95 pictures tomorrow morning <laughs> <laughs> of a heat trigger yeah, yeah it's awesome but like i said all i need is a picture of one buck that's it yeah that's all i need yep exactly so i mean that's typically how we we use trail cameras um if you want to deeper dive into that i'd go back and listen to the diy report with chad 
I think it was episode 238 and 240, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we go in, in depth, you know, for each, for fall and summer, how you, how, how we would use trail cameras. Um, this next question is, is how to hunt around people's bait and how mature bucks move around piles. So I don't really have any experience with this because we can't bait in PA. You're lucky. You know, so I, you know, Ugh. so I really don't have much to say on this topic. So I will just turn it over to bait hunter or rounder <laughs> expert. Uh, Great like listener. This, um, this goes back to one of the first questions about, yep. you know, how do you handle pressure? Um, bait hunters, they usually have, you know, two or three stands and, you know, at max, you know, usually it's just one stand that's heavily baited and they hunt it a lot, mm-hmm. like every weekend. Most bait hunters are weekend warriors, which I get it, you know. It requires effort yep. and, and time, which some people don't have. That's that's your thing. Cool, knock yourself out. But hunting around it is, it's the bucks, you know, it's the, I won't say it's the bucks, it's the does you got to beat. Because once you have a food source and some of these guys bait, I mean, like right now, they're, they're lo- I found some bait today, corn. I mean, massive amounts of corn. Mm-hmm. Most of it's probably going to rot, you know, before it gets eaten. Like way more corn than what's needed. There's enough browse right now. You don't need that much corn. Like 50 pounds a week just to draw deer in areas. Be good enough to get them coming through. But some of these guys are just stacking it up right now. Wow. And these does, they just literally bed up off some of this, these bait piles. And so you need to be able to beat them. So usually it's like the, the layer thing, like food source and the different layers where a buck might bed. It's right. pretty much the same thing. You know, you got your bait, get 50, 60 yards down when it's a good starting point, you know. <laughs> Thanks for baiting the deer for me, buddy. You know, and right. then you got, if that's if you're still getting busted, go back another 20 yards because you can find out where the, the does are coming in. Basically then, where that line is that they're, that they're wanting to call home yeah. to be close to that bait yeah. pile. You know, and... Those will go right in on any wind. You know, they're just, I don't know why. <laughs> they just come in sometimes. But bucks usually outside of the rut, like, they're coming in downwind. You know, they're very cautious. Mm-hmm. So you can use hunter's bait to your advantage. Use uh, all that stuff. And deer just kind of just skirt around this, you know, ladder stand that somebody walks to and from the same way. You know, and they, they leave. They're literally there 15 minutes for light. You know, and they're leaving like 15 minutes before dark. You know, a lot of these people that are just right. coming in and yeah. out. So yeah. you can use that to your advantage. A lot of people don't. You know, where I was scouting in Millville, where we found concentrated amounts of people. I mean, they go up chainsaws and four-wheelers are driving all the way back, which don't drive four-wheelers on public land. Don't be an asshole. Right. Don't use a chainsaw. Cut down trail cameras or cut down the forest so your four-wheeler can get your, your 300 pounds of corn because you don't want to carry it because... You're just lazy, right. you know. But where you find all these massive amounts of people sign and bait sign, you know, you, the further you get away from it, the bigger the buck sign gets. And these bucks know that. They know come August, September, food's going to come in. They'll snack every now and again. They know when that hunter's going to be there, not going to be there, you know. Yeah. And then bigger bucks just 150 yards away, they're just doing their thing. Have you found like a like a general rule of thumb for distance from the bait where you really seems to be the sweet spot for how bucks are skirting that depends on the terrain. Like if you got space, you know, they got room to room to go out about 150 yards, about 150. Like I found a spot today 
there's a guy drives full or back and literally pretty much parks it 50 yards from his ladder stand. Whatever. I guess he's in Texas or wherever. Right. <laughs> so not only is your fuller, you're stinking, but your fuller is probably just leaking gas all over the place. But, hey, have it. And it's a great spot, you know, because there's three forms of vegetation, cover mm-hmm. meat there. You don't need the bait there, but he went in there, cut every tree down, make like a little mini food plot, basically. <laughs> he could probably make a quarter acre food plot. So he pretty much just destroyed all the trees so he could just plant his corner and it's just wide open. He's in a tree. It's like, I can see you. Like, mm-hmm. you're not well hidden. But 80 yards, you know, into some thick cover, massive rubs, giant fuck scrape, you know, licking branches, like two or three licking branches, like my thumb all snapped off. And it's like, he's allergic to 80 yards. And thick cover where that guy on the floor, he's literally getting out of stand and leaving. So the deer didn't really move. They just went around. They're still there. They just... Just go around. Just avoiding him. Yep. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's to your point before, you know, I don't have anything to add to that because I don't have experience with that. But to, to what we spoke about before, where it's just like using their presence yep. as part of. They're like almost a wind, you can use wind bumping, yo. So they're almost like a terrain feature. Yep. If you think about it, you know what I mean? It's like they're really providing a barrier of which the deer are going to use, yep. in, you know, as a almost like a piece of terrain yeah. where it's like they're going to funnel and move deer. And even way. like I, I've hunted off some guys' bait piles before. I know they hunt them because, you know, I've run a lot of cameras, you know, throughout the years. And some guys only hunt in the northwest wind. Well, the bait's there. It's not leaving. But in the south wind, they're not going to hunt that because it's awful. Well, 80 to 100 yards back, the south wind's money. <laughs> so right. it's like, oh, all right. So it's like, you know, it's like, all right, thanks, buddy. You know, no problem. Right. Yeah. All right. We'll move on to this next question. This one is how do or did you get into the hunting industry? Uh, well, strike that up for you. Um, well, what I would say is, is that um, I, I'm not really in the hunting industry. <laughs> I, I, I guess I the hunting industry. Yeah. Um, no, in all seriousness, I don't really consider myself to be in the hunting in the quote unquote hunting industry. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, one is uh, I don't make my living doing this, you know, so I think it's disrespectful for me to suggest that I work in the hunting industry when this isn't how I pay my mortgage and, you know, and pay my bills. Um, the second thing is, is that I don't like anything referred to as the industry. Like I worked in the music industry and I hated whenever I had to work in the music industry. That was when I started to hate music. It's when I wanted to leave it and never wanted to do it again. And so my goal is to just run a podcast that is affiliated with a few folks who I like their products and are friends of mine um, and talk deer hunting with my buddies and learn stuff from guys that I want to work with. I've never had some, like put it this way. If someone came to me tomorrow and said, we don't like your, we don't like what you're talking about. If you would talk about something different, we'll, we'll pay you or give you X product. I would tell them the pound sand. <laughs> I'm just not what interested. If they were to offer you $150,000. Uh, I would say, sure. I, I don't, well, let's need, do I don't it. need it. <laughs> is what I is what I would tell them. We want to um, buy your podcast. You're still going to run the podcast. We're going to pay you one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. As long as I have a hundred percent creative control over who who can be a part of it and who can't sponsor it, sure. 
I mean, that, that for me is like how I would, how I would, I love that you're throwing these like hypotheticals, like, cause no one's paying me anything for any of that, you know? Um, but no, in all seriousness, you know, if, if you do have an interest in getting into the hunting industry, I would say my advice would be, well, not even advice. My kind of heads up for you would be plan to do a lot of shit for free for a while. Cause that's how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. It's like any passion industry. It was the same way in music. You know, it's like whenever I started working, you know, engineering and recording and stuff like that. Slapping the bass. Slapping the bass, <laughs> man. Um, I recorded a ton of people for free and did sound for free for a long time before I ever started having people actually pay me. Um, and that's just, that was so I could get my foot in the door, you know, and it's the same thing in hunting. Like be, if you're a photographer, be prepared to do photo shoots and give people free shit for a while, brands, friends, whatever. If you're a videographer, be prepared to go do some video, some hunts for people for a while without getting paid or getting paid very little. Yes. Right. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, it's a lot of work, uh, more than it looks like with all the do editing stuff. Do you recommend starting a podcast? Uh, do, I mean, if all you want to do is talk about deer hunting with your buddies and, and maybe have some guests on to learn stuff from, I, sure, go ahead. You know, If you're doing it because you think it's going to be a way to make money and quit your full-time job, I would say keep looking. You know, it, Just the reality is, is that it's, it's a pretty saturated space. I mean, you know, think about... Think about podcasts that have started in the hunting space and then and died in the past like two years that didn't even make it a year, you know what I mean, or made it two years or whatever. Um, it's just a really saturated space, you know, and and it's getting that way even on even on YouTube, you know what I mean? It's like everyone's got a YouTube channel. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but I would just say if you don't, if you're not doing it because you're passionate about it, you're never going to be successful. If you're doing at it for it. the money. That's a tough sell. If you're doing it for the money, I'll just be honest with you. You're never going to make any. Like, that's just a reality. Because you're, you're not going to make any, even if you're good for a while. And if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be willing to, you're not going to be interested in doing it for a while. So how do kids make $20 million a year from unwrapping gifts? That I haven't figured out yet, man. You know, making money doing unboxings and stuff like that. It's, like, it's beyond me. I don't know who the hell watches those, but somebody does, you know. But, uh. But yeah, so I mean, I don't want to dissuade anyone from trying to get into the hunting industry. I think it's super cool. I mean, I've got plenty of friends that work mm-hmm. in the industry. Johnny Utah, yeah. photographer, videographer in the out, in the outdoor industry. He's expanded beyond that though, where he does camping, fishing, yeah. which is still outdoor. But I think this person is asking specifically yeah. about hunting. Um, well, yeah. Just, but if you want to get in, but that's another way though, is like it, get into some of the periphery stuff. Yes. You know, you have to I, diversify yourself. You can't just be a one trick pony at this day and age. If you want to work in the hunting industry, I'm just the reality is is like even the biggest of companies don't have a ton of money. And like I'm just being honest because I work in marketing and advertising. So you get a sense of like what spend companies have. Even the biggest of companies in the outdoor industry aren't as flush with cash as people would want to think. Because they have to continue to come out with new products every year. That requires research and development. That requires. Well, you look at a car manufacturer. Ford and Chevy and Dodge aren't sitting with sitting on trillions of dollars. Right. I mean, they 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 they, they still make money. But yeah. I'll just give you an example of like, I what I do for a living. A small account is like five million dollars, just to spend on digital, digital marketing and advertising, and they might spend a total of. 10 to 15 for ever, for everything, not including media, 
And some, some, and that's small. And that's hunting industry. That's some people's whole. And hunting industry that would be a huge that would be a, a huge spend. Yeah. And anyway, we're not gonna we're not a this isn't the business podcast. Yeah, we'll, business podcast. So the net net is is like hunting industry. If you're passionate about it, you should absolutely do, do it. it. And if you make some change, by all means, do it. Yeah. If you're doing it because you want to make money, keep looking. Look for something else. There's a lot of different ways to make money if that's your goal yeah. and make more money. So. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you do those few things for me. Before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Spartan Forge, Afflictor Broadheads, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. So until next time... We'll see y'all. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.